welcome to the Live Up podcast, where we revisit and score the movies from our youth to see if they live up. So we will review, discuss, and score the movie in question and see whether it lives up to us now as adults and whether it lives up to the intended audience, which in this case is definitely uh, small children. I'm Jess Latterman. And I'm Amanda Treat. Today's movie made us all ask, are there really that many songs about rainbows? It's the 1979, <laughs> the Muppet movie. That's a good Jess, one. Jess, you told me you'd never seen this movie before. Yeah. So like, we're getting your adult first impression. What do you think of the Muppet movie? <laughs> My brother thinks that we did. He's like, oh yeah, we definitely watched this. But then later he's like, oh wait, I think I'm just confusing that with a trip to Disney World. And I'm like... That's so useless, <laughs> so unreliable. And they so had useless. a really good, that 3D movie though, the Muppet 3D at Disney World. So. That was really cool. I well, maybe that. that's what we're thinking about. But I think as I was watching this again, as an adult, I'll say there are hints. I have a vague memory, but it's it's definitely, definitely for me, not one that I was on repeat or anything. But so I'd say my nostalgia for the Muppets are solidly in the Muppet Babies Saturday morning oh. cartoon camp interesting watch that all the time didn't watch this movie that much uh but obviously i'm familiar with the muppets so i watched this with my kids and i was like a little worried that the last time this happened that this would be a rudolph the rendo's reindeer situation where it's a movie that you love and i watch the first time and i'm like oh god um it was it was not that so well okay good. there's similarities because it's like let's get the gang together and go off into the wilderness but they're actually going somewhere with a point which rudolph is completely missing so true there's a driving force here where rudolph they're just wandering around the arctic there's a lot of reasons why Singing. i think this movie is a better movie than rudolph oh yes <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. And I know folks disagree with me on that one anyway. But I feel like a terrible parent because my kids have like no, they have no reference for Muppets at all. And my son, who's six, sort of knew who Kermit was, but that's it. That's oh. it. So I, I don't want to speak for all parents here because I think that they're out there in the ether. But for some reason, it wasn't a reference point for my kids. But but you actually, <laughs> so now my kids have seen it one more time than I have hey. as a kid. <laughs> So you watch this a lot as a kid. So tell me your memories of it. So growing up, we were not allowed to watch a lot of TV, but we were allowed to watch The Muppet Show, I think because my dad thought it was funny. So like, it was like no TV and then Sunday nights, The Muppet Show, totally allowed. And then somehow we got a hold of this VHS cassette that somebody had taped The Muppet Movie off of television. We might have taped it. I forget how we came across this but it was missing the entire first half of the movie so i am very familiar with the second half of the movie that starting so with funny yeah like i know all the songs from the second half i know all the like dialogue and the plot lines but you're you were probably like why are they in a car like what yeah it was just uh, miss kermit's backstory miss fozzie's backstory i love this movie and i'm I will say, much like the way you thought the Ink and Paint Club was the way bars were for adults, because you watched Roger Paint Rabbit a lot. Roger Rabbit, yeah. So, like, if I missed seeing the El Slizo scenes in the beginning of this movie when I watched it 50 times as a kid, but only the second half, like, I probably would have thought the El Slizo was what a, a normal bar was like and would have been really disappointed, frankly, going into my first bar as a 21-year-old. It's so funny because as I was watching, and I, I, I think it was towards the beginning of the movie when Kermit goes in there and I had the thought like, 
it kind of reminded me of the Incompate Club from <laughs> Roger Rabbit because it's just ridiculous. And even at the end where someone gets tossed out, it, it almost looked like the same scene. From I was expecting a lot more people to get thrown through windows and out of doors <laughs> at bars. That doesn't Based happen. On my childhood bars. movies. I, I've only seen it happen once and it was spectacular, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about the fact that there are children's movies from a while ago. I don't think this would happen anymore where like significant scenes happen in bars. Like that's and there's bar violence and there's, and there's bar violence. Yeah. That <laughs> things escalate to the point that someone gets thrown through a window. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so Jess, you give great plot summaries. Do you want to remind our listeners what the Muppet movie is about? Sure. So basically, all of the 1970s Hollywood showed up for a casting call for this movie. It's a movie within a movie where we learn the origin stories of our favorite childhood characters. Also, Kermit's on the run from Doc Hopper, who's obsessed with having Kermit be, quote unquote, the face of his frog legs fast food chain and mayhem ensues. So, I mean, I guess one standout for me, we're just, I'm going to talk about this, like all of the cameos, like everyone showed up for this oh movie. Oh God, the cameos. The cameos, you know, sort of how you watch Harry Potter now and every British actor who's anyone is in those. I felt like that's what this was. <laughs> like any yeah, actor no. in the 70s. Every comedian, every prominent actor from the 1970s is in this movie. Yeah. But just for like one line and then they disappear. <laughs> Yeah, and, and sort of similar to other movies we've we've reviewed on this podcast, the plot doesn't matter as much, but it's, I think the best kind of kid movies are ones that have those jokes in there for adults. I mean, yes. there are adult, not adult racy jokes, but there are jokes that totally go over kids' heads that are just so funny. I'll just like, I'd say my favorite that I actually laughed out loud. My kids had, my at least my son had no idea, was like, Fozzie's in the car and, you know, there's the Studebaker and Kermit's like, oh, where'd you learn to drive? And he's like, uh, a correspondence course. And I was like, that's really funny. Like, they, they have all sorts of stupid jokes like that. I mean, the, the Muppets have always been very like vaudeville, but like, yeah. it's still funny. I don't it know. So funny. Like there's, that stupid fork in the road still makes me laugh. <laughs> Take a left at the fork and there's a literal six foot fork in the middle of the road in the concrete. What? I found myself explaining to the kids what a fork, I mean, my daughter knows what a fork in the road is, but like my son doesn't. It's so silly and so stupid, but yeah, that's what I love about the Muppets. They're just like chaotic and ridiculous and they know it and they just go full in on it. And it's so fun. It is fun and it doesn't feel dated. It, 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 at least I don't think, I mean, I know as we talk about certain things throughout the episode, maybe, but yeah, it kind of didn't feel that dated to me at the, yeah, that's at the end good. of the day. So last time we did Ferris Bueller's Day Off and kind of were taken aback that that was in the Library of Congress as a film that is culturally, historically, I'm still aesthetically really significant. That. But before that went into the Library of Congress with that categorization, the Muppet movie was sent to the Library of Congress and is also considered a culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant movie. And I think very much deserved for this movie. Yeah. I was reading up on just how Jim Henson got into puppetry. <laughs> when he was 17, he went to a local TV station, asked them for a job, and they said, no, we don't have anything for you. And as he was walking out of the building, he saw one of the shows had posted on a bulletin board, we need a puppeteer. And so he went home, went to the library, studied how to be a puppeteer, like over the weekend, and then went back and was like, all right, I'm a puppeteer, hire me. And they did. 
that's, and that's how he got into it. He just wanted a job in TV. And it, that's so crazy. Not so only all worked a little. There. Oh my God. Did he just take that and run with it? Like talk about your life's calling at 17 on a bulletin board in the local TV station. Right. Yeah. Amazing. That is amazing. He'd gone through the stops of different TV programs and uh, different short films, but I think this was really his first feature. And you feel it. I mean, you said it's a movie within a movie, and it's almost like a movie within a movie within a movie. Because... I know. I loved that aspect of it. And for for folks who don't remember, that's one of the main gags of the whole movie. I loved that part. I thought that that was purely for adults in some yeah. ways, because you know you enjoy so much of those funny little references. Like they literally in the movie come out with the script, and they're like, wait. Uh, how did you find this? Oh, well, we just followed the script. So we knew you'd be here. And which, like, you know, like mind blowing, like not only are they breaking the fourth wall, they're giving the script to the characters mid movie, but like <laughs> that got totally lifted and put into space balls a few years later. Like the way they're looking at the, where are we? We're now, but what's then? And like, where are they like rewinding right. and watching yeah. the movie? Oh, and it's, it's, it's funny. It, the it's such a good works. gag. Such a good gag. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good gag. And it's funny because when kids watch it, I think they, you know, they're, they're, there's always gags sometimes in, in these kinds of kids movies. So this is just a gag. Like they don't get how funny that is in yeah. some ways. The one funny thing, the movie within the movie idea was like a kind of a concept my son who's six could not wrap his mind around. And he was like convinced that one of the Kermits had to be fake. He's like, well, that was just the Kermit from the beginning. But now they're 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 like talking about another Kermit now, and I'm like, no, it's kind of like a movie within a movie. And yeah. I was like, I give up. <laughs> so just to remind everyone, this movie starts at Worldwide Studios, and you see all these fancy cars, yeah. Statler and Waldorf showing up in their limo or like Rolls Royce because they're super old. You kind of realize pretty quickly that all your favorite Muppet characters are showing up to the first screening of the Muppet movie, which we're all watching. So like we're already, yeah, we're already within the movie. And so Kermit tries to give a few like thank yous and like Statler and Waldorf, who yeah, you can tell are my favorite characters of all time from the Muppets, like just making snarky <laughs> comments from the balcony. Love yeah. it. They show up to heckle the screening as they do. Like they're not actually in the movie within the movie. They're just oh, there right. to yeah, heckle. There's, there's, it's not everybody <laughs> that's in it. Cranky yeah. old guys. Kermit's trying to thank people who worked on the movie. Can't get a work a word in because it's just chaos in this movie theater. You know, animals eating the seat and people are throwing things and there's like boomerangs yeah. flying around and fish and like what is happening here. So it's just roll the movie and we cut to a completely different movie within the movie, which is the story of how they got to Hollywood to make this movie, which is kind of the movie within the movie within the movie. It just keeps going. But the opening, which I am not used to watching because it was not part of that second half of the cassette that we had. Was this your first viewing of the opening? think i've seen yeah i think i've seen it before but like it's just not as familiar to me but it's beautiful this helicopter shot and they kind of have a probably painted onto the film rainbow going over it and they're zooming in on a swamp from above and just remember there were no drones <laughs> there's no digital like they're actually shooting that and that looks yeah. really cool and you hear the little banjo music and then you arrive at Kermit sitting on the log playing the rainbow connection on his little banjo with a pick in his hand, which I noticed for the first time. Like that's a really cool little detail. Famously, this is the scene that Jim Henson was underwater for five days with like a little tube for breathing to get this whole 
scene. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, no, he was committed to this. He was <laughs> in the swamp, swamp under the log making Kermit sing the song, doing take after take after take. And they had paramedics standing by in case it flooded in on them. And oh my God. And breathe and drown. Like, oh God. That's what kind a of almost like bizarre. Badass. About the Rainbow Connection song is just so calming. And, you know. It is. And it's Gee, such... I hope no one drowns while I filming this shot. The guy who is the key to this whole movie doesn't go down on this first take. You get these shots where Kermit's reflection off the swamp while he's playing the guitar and the trees around him. It just looks so cool. So you heard me fawning over the Muppets and like their practical effects when we talked about the Dark Crystal. It's here again. Like they are just doing beautiful things with felt and a guy underwater. Like it's just so weird when you think about how this movie came together. I thought the opening was great and you just have the Rainbow Connection song, which I feel like the Rainbow Connection song, every Gen X and millennial knows that song, I think. I, or, I mean, they certainly know the Muppets, I would think, and be nostalgic for the Muppets. But that's a song that I think in my 20s, it would show up in bars sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> just start playing. And everyone would just be like, oh, oh, it's the Rainbow Connection song. Yeah, it's it's just still kind of lovely. During that slow pan in, I was a little worried that my, it would be a little too slow for my kids. It wasn't. I think they were fine with cool. slow. I'm not saying that all kids would be. It's kind of nice. It's a nice change from what movies are these days. I yeah. sound like such a cranky fucking dinosaur, but here we are. And it sets a vibe <laughs> for this movie that even though there's some really weird things we're about to see and there's definitely going to be a lot of chaos at its heart, this is just a really innocent kind of good-hearted movie with characters that are just, you know, nice. I mean, a little bit crazy, but like... They're genuinely trying to like help each other and be a team. And there's just a lot of really pleasant things going on in this movie. And so I think this sets the tone for the whole thing really well. Watching this again as an adult and all of these cameos. So many. Know, all of uh, Hollywood showed up. Random Hollywood agent is the character comes paddling through the swamp. And it's Dom DeLuise, which I had to look up because it was one of those like, who is that? I know who this is. I know is. that like, name. I definitely yeah. know who this is. He has clearly never been in a kayak or a canoe before. Like he's like paddling backwards. Like, no effort put in there to learn how to canoe. And fine, maybe that's the point. Maybe it's like, yeah, yeah a Hollywood agent is lost in the swamp because he's paddling the wrong direction. It just looks yeah. so clunky and dumb. But, you know, all right. He's trying to get back to Hollywood and he gives Kermit the idea like, oh, hey, you could make millions of people happy if you took your talent to Hollywood, which I think is a actually kind of noble goal for this whole movie. Kermit's not just trying to be famous. He wants to make people happy. Like he's not going out to Hollywood to take selfies and be seen be on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Like <laughs> that's not Kermit's vibe. Yeah, Keep it up with Kermit. Anti-Kermit of like coming to Hollywood to be some sort of social media influencer. Oh that would be God, horrible. That would be so bad. <laughs> it would be so bad. You know, there's probably some sort of Instagram account out right now that's uh like evil <laughs> that... Kermit. Yeah. He's selling like diet pills and like going to the Met Gala. Yeah. I know we typically talk about the characters and that drives kind of our conversation, but I thought it would be useful for us to first go through some favorite scenes that we had and partly because the plot does like a lot of movies we reviewed the plot doesn't really matter as much no. it's basically <laughs> Fozzie and Kermit and a Studebaker and they pick up other characters along it's the way. a road trip yeah it's, yeah, it's on it's a, a road trip 
Yeah, very Odyssey, but with Muppets. You don't even meet Miss Piggy till like almost halfway through the movie. I laughed so much at the scene where Kermit and Miss Piggy go on a date. That like, is my favorite thing. Best in this movie. scene. It's yeah, set so up the scene for us. Nonsensical. Well, just a reminder, this is meant to be the origin stories for all of these different Muppets who'd right. been on the Muppet show for however long it was broadcast before this movie came out. And you know, so it's just assumed like Kermit and Miss Piggy have always been a thing, but this is their first date, apparently. Right. Oh my God. So Kermit shows up in this burgundy colored suit, like velvet suit, suit, like with the 1970s style. So like kind of pippy looking, like pointed collars. Like it's just the weirdest thing you've ever seen Kermit the Frog wear. <laughs> and like, I think that's the point is like, they just went over the top with everything totally in this. Then Miss Piggy comes like flying into the doorframe and she's got a huge feather boa on. It was just like, this is not what people wear on first dates, even in the 70s, like as I mean, crazy as that was. Unless your first date is on Halloween, I don't think people are wearing feather boas. But you know, oh, listeners, you could correct us so, if you've worn a feather boa on a oh, date. First that's date. Not on Halloween. A first date. A first date that's yeah. not Halloween. We Gotta make that impression. Um oh, so the two of them are sitting at this Alpine Swiss themed restaurant, which I didn't quite understand what was going on there but um, and they're supposed to be in the middle of nowhere in the country which is sort of funny yeah i think they've just gotten past arkansas at that point so it's just right. like why are we in a swiss german oh, what is this but whatever steve martin shows up as the waiter kind Best of in these thing. like shorts with like a jacket on like it's just like and his legs are just like so skinny and so oh, short god it's so weird <laughs> and he is the world's most annoyed waiter and it's perfect like <laughs> it's he so good it's just <laughs> rolling his eyes at them sassing them he serves them idaho's finest wine for i think it was 50 cents or 99 cents it like, was 99 with, cents with a bottle cap instead of a cork and he has kermit smell the bottle cap and like <laughs> it's so funny and they have steve martin yeah. taste the wine and he does a whole spit gag and then turns to them and it's like excellent choice after he's just like spit it all over the room and like my favorite part of this, so after that, I'm laughing at that. And then it's like, excellent choice. And then I think Kermit or someone says, well, it should be for 99 cents. For 99 cents. <laughs> and pours it into those little like wine glasses and gives them both straws. And it's just everything about that is just like so stupid and silly, but they're taking it so seriously. I know. Oh, it's like very intense, this first date. <laughs> Right. Here's a white linen kind of restaurant and we're going to serve you 99 cent wine from Idaho. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. And, it, and on its face, it sounds stupid, but the gag works. It's so funny. And, you know, the kids, I mean, my daughter kind of understands it more, but for my son, like, you know, he doesn't really know like at restaurants you're supposed to try the wine and just the concept of 99 cent wine is funny. <laughs> Drinking but a nice wine with a straw. I mean, why, right? why don't adults do that more? <laughs> But I think this is what makes it fun is because I was truly genuinely laughing, but there was still enough that my son thought it was funny too. And he's laughing because Steve Martin's like spitting out the wine and they're sitting there with straws. And so that's what's so fun about it is that it's funny on both levels oh, right there. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's just a, it's a perfect scene. It's so good. It's and like, so good. Steve Martin might be my favorite. There's so many good cameos in this, but he might be my favorite cameo just for how committed he is to being an <laughs> so angry waiter. So 
shirt in. What's funny about the tiny shorts he's wearing is that you don't really realize it's just the idea of like a waiter in a fine restaurant wearing like these. I mean, we're talking like 1980s Larry Bird basketball shorts. Like they are short. So short. <laughs> like, like just just the physical comedy of it was really funny. Yeah. No, oh. that was probably my favorite scene. I That's such it. a good scene. Oh. Such a good scene. It was fun. And, and because it was surprising to me because I don't remember it. If I watched this as a kid, I don't remember most of it. I do remember that because it's on the second half of the film that it's we did have half. on the VHS oh, okay. cassette. And another scene that follows right after this is Miss Piggy gets kidnapped from the date by right. Doc Hopper. Yeah. Kermit goes over there to try to surrender himself to save her. And... In walks Mel Brooks playing a Nazi scientist. And as a kid, this scene scared the hell out of me. Really? Oh, because the stakes are so so high. Like They're basically, you got Mel Brooks playing a Nazi scientist, really, really enjoying himself, by the way. Like, he looks like he's- (laughs) He was committed to the role, for sure. So much fun. Yeah, like, oh, I finally get to be a Nazi, and I'm going to let the consequences of that fly. He has this frog-sized- lobotomy machine called <laughs> uh it's the celebrectomy or something like that and it's just really it looks like a soda dispenser but like with a kind of light bulb cap coming down the idea that they're tying Kermit up they're putting him in this thing and they're gonna yeah. give him a lobotomy Mel Brooks is just ad-libbing left and right through the scene and as oh, an yeah. adult it's so funny like all the things he's saying i know because like, he said at some point like in 10 seconds you won't know her from kosher bacon and, and yeah there's a lot of different. there's a lot of jewish humor tucked in there but it's coming there's, out of a nazi scientist so and, like, and again this is where my son and i keep referring to my son because i think my daughter at 11 was like maybe a touch old she, like 11 years old i should just say is more where she's entertained and she she likes it but she doesn't want to like act like she likes it yeah you know? no um, like i was your son's age when i first saw this scene and i was genuinely scared it was just like oh my god there's a bad scientist and there's a machine and it's gonna like kill kermit and he's gonna lose his memory and oh my god like really high stakes but i think because of the production quality of the 70s i will say it landed with my son as just pure slapstick comedy oh because it goes off the rails quickly like piggy gets mad like you're about to like wipe my date's memory i'm going to karate kick all of you through and they're in like a barn or something like they've set up a science lab in a barn i don't know where we are (laughs) but like it's a a lot going on in arkansas you yeah. have <laughs> so like doc hopper's got his henchmen and they're like chasing piggy around the barn and she's just like karate kicking them and jumping off the beams yeah. and landing on them and like just beats the hell out of everyone but it's this piggy so it's like funny and actually it, yeah. the the moment i didn't remember this at all she goes one-on-one with mel brooks as the scientist and breathes on him and he's so taken aback by the smell of her breath that he falls into the celebrectomy machine and gives himself a lobotomy but like the fact that her breath is so bad that she's nearly killing someone with it (laughs) that was so much funnier to me as an adult that was great honestly it was funny to my six-year-old I mean I thought it was funny and even then I know I texted you this but even the next day he was in the kitchen like karate chopping and I'm like what are you doing bud oh with that Miss Piggy voice like the hi yeah yeah he was doing that and i think he even <laughs> forgot her name because again my kids are not like muppet introduced he's like oh it's from the movie last night that pig and then he's like doing the things and karate chopping it's like it resonates it resonates 
That's yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he's just pro-violence. I don't know. Every yeah. frog restaurant has a posse of guys with like rifles to chase a frog across the country. Yeah. I also just generally the whole idea of a frog legs restaurant being behind this. And we haven't really talked about Doc Hopper that much because they want to make Kermit the face of yeah, he, this restaurant chain. Seems I mean, like a good spokesman because you get to see Doc Hopper's commercials, like his his local television network commercials that he's making really cheaply and he's in a stupid frog costume and the whole thing, even in the 1970s technology that we have available to film this movie, they were able to create a local commercial that looked really crappy. Right. Really well. Perfectly crappy for local television. It was perfectly crappy. And then I was like, afterwards I was like, has anyone actually eaten fried frog legs? They did have frog's legs at a Chinese New Year's banquet one time because they serve all different types of protein. Really? Were they fried? I think so and like breaded maybe but I remember this is my friend Denise's father loves to just tell me to eat something and he it's when you ask him what it is he tell he, you after I'll tell you after. after just try it I'll tell you later and it's always you know different intestines or jellyfish this and that and weird things but like the frog legs yeah they didn't have any particular taste because they were fried and breaded and whatever. After he told me what it was, I had the rainbow connection in my head the rest of the night. And you're like, <laughs> oh no. I was like, oh, it. I didn't want to eat that. Not oh, Kermit. No. no. But just, just the idea, though, of a fried frog legs restaurant is just, you know, it's a little. Like, that's perfect. all they do. That's so weird. That's all they do. It's so silly and low stakes enough that it's not. I don't know. There's not, this is a good thing that it's not intense. Sure. Doc Hopper's after Kermit, like it, the whole low stakes part of it is sort of part of the fun. Doc Hopper approaches him and after he's been dancing with Fozzie Bear in a bar. Oh, that's right. Of course. Uh, Doc Hopper asks him to be the spokesman for a solid 500 per year to be the spokesman. Oh Oh, God. I gotta imagine even in the seventies is like a laughable amount for adults and kids just don't understand understand at all that that's right no money but kermit turns to him and just goes millions of frogs on tiny crutches which isn't (laughs) even the stakes when you think about it but kermit gets immediately like i'd be selling out my own if i agree to this no that's appalling i'm not doing it and then we set up this i think you called it a roadrunner style chase across the country like pretty much kermit's just trying to go to hollywood to make people happy and doc hopper is chasing him the whole way and Doc Hopper shows up everywhere, you know, every time. He's always, like, right behind them. All our description so far sounds like it could be stupid, but it kind of isn't. It's kind of still funny because it, it, because of the low stakes, it's it's still fun. There aren't really plot holes here because, like, it's all just right. nonsense. But the fact <laughs> that Doc Hopper could chase Kermit across the country on the exact same roads, like, with no GPS and no, you know, like they can't everywhere he is. Google the end destination and find out the quickest route. Like there's, they're using like paper maps and I turning know. at the fork in the road. You know, there's no <laughs> way that you could follow someone entirely across the country at that stage. But yeah, he's always there. It's relentless. Right. He's always there, but he's there just enough, I think, to keep kids entertained. I sort of kept thinking of this, that if you made this, I know that there's modern day Muppet movies, but if you remade this movie today, they'd probably like add some stupid intensity to it or something. Oh my God. Like, yes. 
there's just fun steaks. I also just like the ode to old Hollywood. There's a lot of old Hollywood references. There's some Casablanca references with Miss Piggy. I think you noted the ghost town, the Western ghost town. Oh, which looks that like scene's fun. Wait, we were talking about fun, awesome scenes. They go to have a showdown in this abandoned ghost town somewhere near Hollywood, apparently. And Kermit's got his little boots on and it's got spurs and we're meeting at high noon. But right in the background, you've got Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker just camping out in this town. And <laughs> when they come rolling in and run into them, it's just like, what are you two doing here? And Dr. Bunsen Honeydew's like, oh, we're here to perfect useful inventions. And then proceed to show the most useless inventions like their musical singing rain barrel it's just like what are you doing yeah they're, so they're just doing crazy experiments out in the desert it's yeah they're breaking good they're it's doing funny. silliness in the middle of nowhere but oh i love that scene so much they take animal into their uh i guess laboratory it's like an abandoned bar or something but there's just this large object on the bar, bar. Yeah. and they're like what is that and it's a four foot prune like what? What is going on in here? And they're just like making things big and then shrinking them back down. And it's just like, just nonsense going on there. Like it's supposed to be very serious, but knowing these two characters are just blowing stuff up in the background is <laughs> just so funny. Ah, I love that. I need to confess, like Doc Hopper is the ultimate villain in this movie. And I think until way too late, probably adulthood, I thought that the actor Dennis Hopper, that that was him. That <laughs> really? I got the, yeah, Doc they Hopper and Dennis Hopper. Right. It's so close and they kind of look similar. But by the do. time, yeah, by the time I saw Speed with Dennis Hopper, it was just like, oh, he's lost a little weight. Good for him. You know, like, <laughs> that's funny. I genuinely thought that was Dennis Hopper playing Doc Hopper. Oh, that's funny. I mean, they kind of look alike. I mean, he's a, he's a villain, but he's like a silly villain. He's not. Yeah. You know, all right. He's actually not just randomly being like violent and awful. He's purposely being violent and awful. <laughs> and has Nazi scientist friends? I don't know. So, yeah, so those were definitely some notable scenes. And we've talked a lot about Kermit, but just to switch back to characters, I think Kermit was completely, he's still timeless. I mean, I think you know that anyway, for those who remember watching this stuff in any form as kids, but now seeing this all the way back from 1979, which is the year before I was born, it's still timeless to watch. Yeah. He's still great. And it's I've not dated. I don't heard Kermit to be dated. Yeah, I've heard Jim Henson was describing all of the Muppets, but Kermit especially, he wants them to be understood as like they're kind of innocent and their flaws that they're kind of naive, but they're very hopeful yeah. and they can even be inspiring, but they are naive. So they do a lot of stupid things. Of course. Yeah. But that's a, that's a really nice kind of trait in a hero for a movie. He's like very classic go with the flow. You know, kids could kind of relate to that. They kind of have to go with the flow all the time. They have to be dragged to things. So it's yeah. like, oh, okay, we're going to drive across the country in a Studebaker with Fozzie who took a correspondence course for driving <laughs> for driving yeah Fozzie I think you noted this too he's never my favorite character I find him to be a little annoying and yeah. as an adult he's still a little annoying my yeah. thought though is like we all have that friend <laughs> the one you just kind of put up with and the jokes are terrible but it's like and okay they just they're don't loyal yeah they're just a mess but they're you know solid people they're loyal they really got your back but like everything that comes out of their mouth is a little bit irritating yeah no i i think that's that's him and, and you know in the movie he's there because he owns the his uncle owned the studebaker and he's yeah, driving studebaker yeah 
So he's sort of like, he fits the look, but I kind of was like, oh yeah, he's still kind of annoying. He's, he's a good road trip buddy though. You know, like yeah. I bet I bet he's good at buying snacks at the rest station. Right. <laughs> I bet he is. He does yeah. that one scene. He goes to Bob Hope and he gets uh, some ice cream cones for them. Oh my God. It, that whole carnival scene, just going back to scenes and we're going all over the place. There, there are just raining cameos. At oh that my God. Scene. So many cameos in that. I had to Google yeah. ha- half the people because it was like, that's familiar, but like they're so young in this movie. So young. And everyone's yeah. now in their 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah. almost and 100 for Mel Brooks. For those who don't know what we're talking about, so you had Richard Pryor show up. You had Elliot Gould, who I had to like, because he, he, I didn't he recognize so him. Oh. I didn't either, but I knew he looked familiar. And Elliot Gould, he's in the Ocean's Eleven movies. When Richard Pryor shows up, I'm like, what's Richard Pryor doing in this oh movie? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> And Edgar Bergen, he's the ventriloquist that... Oh, right. He was a little bit before our time, but old vaudeville ventriloquism. He's Candace Bergen's father. Did you know that? I did not know that. That is Candace Bergen's father. Um, This movie's actually dedicated to him because he died right after they made it. And like, I guess he was Jim Henson's puppet hero. So, but yeah, he's at the beauty pageant as one of the judges. (laughs) With the ventriloquist, Charlie, or with the uh, puppet, Charlie is the other judge. Oh, that's um, right. It was almost like a trope when we were kids because whenever someone was referencing a ventriloquist, it was always those two. So, yeah, really iconic and random that they're in this carnival scene. Yeah, so random. And, you know, obviously kids today don't know who these people are, but it's okay. And yeah, no, say, it's I'm there for the adults. For and it was always there for yeah. the adults because, like, even as kids, we wouldn't have known who half these people were. So, we haven't talked about the electric mayhem yet. And I still. Oh, my God. <laughs> I still think they're fun. They're so 70s. So for folks who don't remember who they are, they're like the musical band. There you go. That's that's Animal is the drummer for the Electric Mayhem. Bunch of clearly drugged out stoners. Like, I don't know if they're like the Electric Kool-Aid Acid trip inspired. I don't know where they're drawing the source material for these guys. They can barely speak English. I was (laughs) taking notes about like, they can't conjugate verbs. What's wrong with them? Like they're speaking the weirdest English I've ever heard. Yeah, no, they're fun. What's funny is that something classic 70s, again, goes over the heads of, I think, some kids today. But they also are the ones that use the the quote-unquote script, basically the movie script, yeah. to remember where their place is in the movie, which in and of itself is funny. Yeah, like, the fact that they, I mean, they're just on this whole other level, and not because of the drugs, but like... <laughs> fact that they they can break the fourth wall i mean kermit breaks the fourth wall and i think a bunch of the characters do but they break the fourth wall they have the script to the movies i guess we're just sitting around waiting for like bad stuff to happen and then they swoop in like dsx machina but with a crazy tour bus did you notice they have a photo of big bird on their tour bus i did notice that <laughs> that was super cute because there's a big bird cameo of all random that's things. right they see him yeah. hitchhiking trying to get to new york city to get into children's television i know i thought that was funny again that's a joke for a Adults, but yet kids will recognize who Big Bird is. So it's that yeah. was fun. Just, oh hey, I know him. But yeah, the electric mayhem. There's one line Dr. Teeth has at the end when they get warned that Doc Hopper's closing in on them and everyone's on the bus and Dr. Teeth is driving the bus. But yeah. Kermit comes over to consult, like, what do we do here? And Dr. Teeth just goes, Oh, I love it. Chase music is one of our best riffs, as if like <laughs> They're going to like play the soundtrack to the movie that they're in. (laughs) Yeah. And they have a line too where, you know, right now to get out of this situation, we should really just use a plot device. (laughs) Yeah. So they're just like weird and crazy and breaking the fourth wall left and right. 
their presence I thought was funny and just their constant we knew where to find you in the desert because we just looked at we the script. We turned this page of the script. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's something that could be dumb, but it kind of wasn't. It's kind of yeah. Funny. Yeah. And they're just jamming out throughout whatever's going on. Like, you know, things get tense and they're like playing the guitar and singing in the background and just like having a good old time. Like they're fun. I like them. <laughs> yeah. No, they're totally fun. Since this is a musical and we've done a That's few musicals right. recently and you're a big uh, musical lover, what did you think of the music in this movie? I mean, I know the Rainbow Connection song and the Moving Along song, I think is Fozzie's song. It's mm-hmm. fun. I think the rest is somewhat forgettable, to be honest. But the soundtrack, like even the Electric Mayhem, it's like a fun, it's a beat. It's like, doon, doon. And it's just sort of adds to the tempo. It doesn't drive the plot, but it's fun. Yeah, it gives it a kind of carnival feel. Almost, yes, or... carnival feel. That's exactly what it's yeah, like. Yeah, something crazy's going on. I remember loving the music. There's a song they sing out in the desert, and it's like, there's no need for this song to be in the movie at all. But Gonzo sings a song called I'm Going to Go Back There Someday, and it's just kind of pleasant. Like, it's really a nice song. Even Gonzo's voice is awful, and I don't want to hear him sing ever, but <laughs> it's still a really <laughs> nice song. Speaking of Gonzo, I guess my nostalgia for the Muppets just didn't include Gonzo for the most part. And sort of almost like forgot about him, generally speaking. Yeah. But I actually, I loved him because he was so wistful sometimes. He's like, I have dreams too. Yeah. (laughs) He had some fun lines or when, you know, they're camping out in the dark and he's like, you can get lost in a sky like this. He's just sort of, (laughs) he has these throwaway lines that are that are honestly kind of funny coming from a puppet. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think he even did that much in this movie. He comes in in the middle. It's kind of not clear, but it seems like he was a traveling plumber. A traveling plumber, because that's Arkansas is full With of his, stuff. His bell is the chicken Camilla. Camilla's his lady. And we're recording yeah. this, by the way, after the coronation of King Charles. So Queen Camilla is the second Camilla that I've been... <laughs> I've never heard that name before, except for the chicken Camilla in this movie. And now we have a queen Camilla. So kudos. <laughs> Those are the only two Camillas. That the we... two Camillas. You're either That's a queen it. or a chicken. And a puppet chicken at that. <laughs> who likes balloons. Here's the classic Miss Piggy, who I thought was classic Miss Piggy in this. I, I was kind of worried that she was going to come across as super annoying watching as an adult. There or was just that... enough of her to not be annoying. Yeah, like 1979, Miss Piggy, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be bad. But it wasn't. It wasn't even that dated. I actually thought she was fun. Yeah. And pretty memorable. Yeah. Although I do love the bit after she kicks everyone's ass and saves Kermit from the Nazi Mel Brooks. <laughs> right. As one does. A sentence, actually, we shouldn't be putting those words together, but I think he, <laughs> no, I think he was laughing all through that scene. So it's yeah. okay. She abruptly leaves him because her agent calls with a gig. So she disappears for a couple of scenes, but then she's hitchhiking on the side of the road. And at this point, it's all guys and Camilla the chicken in the car. And you just see Miss Piggy <laughs> lugging so much bags and suitcases towards the car. And one of them's like, do you think we should help her with the bags? And the whole car goes, nah. That was like exactly where I was at with Miss Piggy at that point. Like, yeah. she come along for the ride, but are we helping her? Nah. Nah. Yeah. One bit that I learned while prepping for this episode is there's a song that Miss Piggy sings when she's first introduced. She wins a beauty pageant. She catches Kermit's eye in the crowd and she just goes into this love song called Never Before. So apparently they recorded that song with Johnny Mathis 
you know him from like Christmas songs, but he was oh, like sure. a really big singer at the time and a crooner. And like, it was going to be this very serious, very romantic song. And Jim Henson was, after they'd gotten through that bit, was like, what if Miss Piggy sings it? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be funny? Because the thing is, she's out of tune. She can't hit the notes and she's just like straining. And it's uh, Frank Oz doing it, I think. Right. So like, yeah, he plays it's a man pig. doing a, a lady pig's voice, but like <laughs> singing completely out of her range. It's just so funny at the end of that song when she can't hit the notes. I know it is chalkboard, but in like the funniest way possible. And so like, good call. I appreciate that they got a serious singer to record that, but so much funnier that it's a terrible song. It's a terrible song. And, but see, this is the things that it adds to the charm. And again, this is where I was thinking about, for some reason, I thought a lot about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer while I was watching this. Or there's other movies who have had these kinds of songs and it just is painful. Whereas this, it's, it's supposed to be a bad song and you kind of laugh through it. Oh, it's God, so yeah. funny. It's not stupid. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just so silly. Oh, that cliche moment where they catch eyes across the room and they imagine their life together and oh, the violins swell and it's just like, oh, Peggy's voice is awful. It's <laughs> awful, but they also, I think what's good is that it's not too long. So, you yes. know, these things could go on and be so just like, oh, cringe, especially in kids' movies. It can go on forever or if you're trying to be funny, they knew to just end it. Yeah. And, and, you know, end the gag when it's still funny before it gets really annoying. I think that that's the thing with this movie is that a, a lot of it was just short and silly. They move on before it gets too silly or too stupid or too cringy. Yeah. I think the brevity was good. And I always like to give points to kids' movies, especially silly ones that are just short. They know they're yeah. short and they're in and out with it. And that's it. Do we want to talk favorite cameos? We talked yeah. about a bunch of them already, but I mean, 100% mine was Steve Martin. So, but I don't, yeah. I mean, there were so that many. That so good. The thing I never noticed until this viewing as an adult, did you realize who the Hollywood producer Lou Lord was? I did not. That's Orson Welles. I, I mean, I, what? Oh my God, that Citizen Kane himself sitting there with a cigar. Yeah. Like, and he just has that one, he's just staring at them with like this ice cold kind of face. Like, what and, are you doing just, in my office? Right. And and this is where like the Muppets finally get in front of the big Hollywood person to basically audition. And he's the big Hollywood person. Yeah, yeah. is Orson Welles with a cigar. This is such a power line where he's like, prepare the standard rich and famous contract <laughs> like just that idea is so funny like and like in my head as a kid i was like oh that's good oh i'm glad adults get these contracts there must be a standard rich and famous contract it's sort of not the same but sort of similar in roger rabbit where the will is just one loose leaf piece oh of paper God, that's and that's so what you think a will is when you're a kid and now you think like oh well if you make it in hollywood you get the standard rich and famous standard contract. rich and famous contract did you notice who his secretary was? Because I was wondering they, who she was. I'm sh I assume she's someone. It's Cloris Leachman from the Mary Tyler Moore show. No way. Yeah. And she she won't let them in. Yeah. She's like, I'm allergic to animals. Get out of here. And this yeah. is the one malicious thing the Muppets do the entire movie. When they realize she's allergic, they're just like, shake. They're shedding everything. Shake all your fur. Shake. And there's like... You just see a fan's worth of animal fur and chicken feathers yeah. and dust. And like, they're all just going at her and they knock her out in 30 seconds. It yeah. is a little mean of them. Yeah. She well, was, they have to get their rich and contract. I love the idea that that's what I thought Hollywood was as a kid was like, you got to get past a Cloris Leachman type to get to an Orson Welles producer. Right. Sitting there with a the cigar. 
Yeah. And then when you audition, you just basically have a whole production ready to go. The, the one funny thing at the production at the end, you know, they basically reprise the the Kermit song, the uh, Rainbow Connection song. And I had to sort of explain what a reprisal was to my son because he sat there and he goes, wait, are they going to start the movie over? We've already seen this part. We already did this. <laughs> we already did this. And I was like, no, this is called a reprisal. And, and this I'm is like, a movie oh, within a movie within a exactly. movie. Yeah, he was confused. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but but not like terribly confused. But he was just like, "Wait a minute, I've seen this part already." <laughs> yeah. So there is this. I've not seen it in a while, but there's this theory, or someone wrote a whole piece on it. How modern day workplaces are like the Muppet shows, in that you have people who are like order Muppets, which order Muppets are the ones who kind of bring a driving force and some calm to the whole thing. So you're Kermit, you're Sam the Eagle, uh, probably Ralph the Dog is kind of an order Muppet. And then you have your chaos Muppets who are like the ones that just make it interesting to watch what's going on. And so like all your office places, you have people who fall into the spectrum of order oh my Muppet God, versus chaos Muppets. This. Is this yeah. a thing that people it's, think about? Or just I you. definitely no, I definitely read like a magazine article or like somebody was advocating for like you need to think of the modern day workplace as the Muppet Show and oh my god, that's own so place. Like, are you bringing order or are you bringing chaos into this environment? <laughs> and like, you, need, <laughs> you, are, you can't just have an office that's perfectly order because then everyone's bored and hates working there. But you can't have all chaos because nothing gets done. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. there's yin and yang to that. I love it too because it's like, oh yeah, maybe there's someone who should be throwing rubber chickens around the office. I yeah, maybe know. you should. You should be making. Maybe that could be me. I don't know. Yeah, I I would rather work in the with the uh, chaos muppets eating movie seats and blowing shit up. But if you're fun. trying to make a movie and they're just eating things True. and lighting it on fire, like uh, eventually, <laughs> eventually you have you to need some order muppets up. to like sing a song and calm everyone down. I have never heard this theory, but now that you say it, it's such a funny, relatable thing. It's so clear it, once you think about so it. It's so clear. Way. I don't even know which one I am, but you know, I've certainly worked in chaos Muppet environments. I feel like fun. I can switch back and forth. Like if I go into an environment with a complete lack of chaos, I can be the chaos. But normally, <laughs> as a professional project manager, I am normally an order Muppet, but I'm capable of some chaos. You're working with a bunch of animals and Miss Piggies like confluing <sighs> everywhere. If everyone's just boring, then yeah, I'm jumping in with the... You're jumping in as Kermit. Like, let's, yeah. let's sing a little rainbow connection here let's... make everything better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's funny. And adapt. The one cringy thing in this movie, and I don't think it's deliberate. I think it's just set dressing. But did you notice the number of Confederate flags going on at the fair? so funny there was so much going on at the fair there were so many cameos to keep track of and miss piggy shows up and i didn't and richard pryor's there yeah. i did not notice the confederate flags it's just people are just like carrying them in their hands and like it's like set dressing it's really i don't i don't think there's a statement being made here i think they're just like okay kermit starts in mississippi he drives well apparently up to canada but then back down to mississippi and right, across right. arkansas picks up miss piggy because they don't have gps yeah. yeah so i think that's the purpose of it i was caught off guard because it was just like wait i this this scene was on the second half of the vhs cassette we had and i don't remember this all that's such a chaotic scene that i didn't even notice it until yeah. i mean i saw that you put it in the notes but i did not notice it at all 
I, it jumped yeah. out at me because I'd never noticed it before. And then it wasn't just one flag. It was just random background actors or just like carrying Confederate flags around the fair. But yeah, I didn't notice that. Like, again, this movie, maybe this is my nostalgia talking. There wasn't anything cringy to me. Aside from like for assuming I did not notice the Confederate flags, I, I just didn't see much cringe, which is honestly shocking for a movie from yeah. 1979 to really feel like, okay yeah there's, there's no cringe in here it's fine i think one comparison i drew was the team that works on the muppets at this stage of the game and or not the team the monty python crew strikes me as having a lot of similarities i mean the humor in and of itself but you've got a core team of guys and like when it comes time to have a female character they're gonna do a crazy man doing a female voice like miss piggy or like you know monty right, python right. they were constantly like dressing up as old ladies and like hitting <laughs> each other with umbrellas but like yeah. that struck me recently because i was hearing there was a woman who was frequently on monty python and she was like yeah i never really felt included but i'm in every episode <laughs> and oh, like it's funny. just huh. kind of weird that you know they just brought me in to do a bit in the background and disappear and like I mean, I don't think the Muppets or I don't think the Pythons are intentionally like trying to leave women out, but it does have that same kind of vibe. This is a bunch of guys goofing around and they'll portray the women how they want to portray the women. I'm not calling it cringy, but like just kind of pointing out that that was, I guess, a 1970s thing. It's so funny, though, because I feel like Miss Piggy is so memorable and she kung fu's. She actually she's the one that saves Kermit. Um, yeah oh no she, i mean she has agency as, yeah and we so love ladies doesn't... with agency even yeah, when they're annoying no. right even though the only like women are a chicken and miss piggy uh and janice in the electric mayhem they have that oh one yeah and janice, of course is she okay, the bass okay. player i forget what she plays but or she's just there for style points i don't know uh they're there they're not just window dressing in my mind they actually i have... mean they're muppets i'm not i'm definitely not That's making true, a statement about muppets. like Muppets the relationship of genders and man versus women in the 1970s like yeah. no they're like camilla's literally a chicken like <laughs> gonzo is a we don't know Kermit so, described him as like kind of a turkey <laughs> i guess a like, little like a turkey yeah i don't even know he's he not though <laughs> a, a turkey who's a plumber it doesn't make sense yeah uh, the Seth Meyers show, I think it's only online. I don't think they aired this. They did a, uh, a shot of what Gonzo's genitalia looks like. And it was like a human nose. That's amazing. <laughs> the second uh, you see it, you're just like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> I mean, he does have a dick on his face. That's what it looks like. It it's essentially what Gonzo is. I, I didn't do any gags with it, but I remember on the show or... I think in the Muppet Christmas Carol, like if he gets hit really hard in the nose, there's kind of that implied, like you just got kicked in the crotch reaction. <laughs> it's a little inappropriate, but you know, I don't think the kids fully get it and the adults are laughing their asses off. So like, right. Right. again, this is where it's fun because yeah. there's stuff there for adults and it's over the heads of kids. But even if it's not over the heads of kids, it's fine. I do love at the end. So we've wrapped up the attempt to film the movie where they blow the hole in the studio and a rainbow comes in and then you hit the end and back out of that movie into the movie theater where we're doing the screening and Sweetums does his final burst through the movie screen. I knew I'd catch up with you guys. Oh, that's right. Kind yeah. of ties them together really nicely. Like that was kind of a fun ending. 
but they do the closing credits over kind of everyone going around the room and shaking hands and congratulating each other. But then you get Animal breaking the fourth wall again and just yelling at you, the viewer, like, go home. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The movie's over. Go home. And that also totally got ripped off by Ferris Bueller a few years later. I I mean, I don't know if they remember where they got it from, but that's the first time I can think of like them breaking the fourth wall and doing a stinger scene. And so that was super funny to me. Also, everything Animal does is just funny. I mean, it is. And it, it could be stupid, but it's not. He saves the day in the end. Like, he That's eats true. those giant, whatever pills they were giving to the, the prune. The Alice in Wonderland pills. Yeah. And... Like, he blows a hole through the roof of the bar in the desert and scares off the bad guys. And we're able to, like, get on with the movies. He's the one who saves the day, ultimately. Like, not Kermit's talking and not anything right. else anyone's doing. Sort, like, of, sort of fitting for a Muppet movie to have yeah. the complete chaos agent come in at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, we're going to give you a really tender moment and, like, you know, the music kind of calms right. down and we're really being thoughtful and you think the bad guy's about to change his mind and, nope, we're going to have Animal just explode through right. the building and scare the hell out of everyone. Animal definitely resonated with Isaac, with my son, for sure. Yeah. He liked him. What are any closing thoughts for the movie? Um, I think this movie is like very genuinely conveying how Jim Henson felt about his whole life. He was a 17 year old who learned how to be a puppeteer to get a job at a local TV station and took it so far beyond what anyone had ever done. And then is making this movie where it's just about like, hey, take a shot at your dreams and share it with your friends and such feel good stuff that I think would be really cheesy with a lot of other movies, but because it's so silly and chaotic that like it doesn't feel heavy handed and doesn't feel preachy. It just feels good. Honestly, it's a feel good movie. It has really nice things to say and good lessons, but also hides it behind explosions and rubber chickens and feathers and chaos. I I like it. My closing thought is similar in that it's it's definitely feels timeless. It has the dual humor track where there's fun stuff for kids or at least young kids. There's funny things for adults. It's somewhat old fashioned, but not dated, which I think is a really tricky line. One thing for for the adults out there, especially if you're going to watch this with kids, I mean, you know, like it's old fashioned, maybe watch it with an old fashioned. I mean, it's it's still a solidly <laughs> drink recommendations. Or yeah, you can watch it be... with the best Idaho wine that you can get a hold of. <laughs> with a straw. I would watch while yeah. drinking. Drink it yeah. with a glass of wine and a straw. I think that's an appropriate <laughs> cocktail. That's, that's that's my closing thought. Drink <laughs> it with a glass of wine and a straw. I would feel so silly doing that. Now I absolutely want to do that. I want to get yeah. out another 100%. glass of wine and a straw and watch this all over again. Just get the bottle. Stick a straw in. Stick the straw in the <laughs> bottle. Yeah. Yeah. So I think let's let's move on to the rating. So for those not familiar, so we're going to rate it from one to 10, one being garbage. 10 being Princess Bride, we will first rate it for our adults, viewing as adults, and then we'll rate it again for what we think the intended audience which should be rated for. So adult rating, one so, to 10. Normally I go first, but because I had seen this movie a lot and this was your first viewing, I am really interested. In- I know you're really worried that I'm going to like torpedo this. Oh yeah, I'm Rudolph. expecting like a 0. 0.5. I, <laughs> I actually rated it a seven for adults. Nice. I think that it's such a hard thing to do to make a kid movie genuinely funny for adults and have an old movie kind of still work. 
and not be cheesy. So I gave it a seven. I, I mean, it's not like the top tier. No, I'm not going to watch it by myself over and over again, but it was definitely enjoyable. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I did, did I disappoint you, Amanda? I, I I've, I've lightened up my heart. I'm really surprised that you actually <laughs> gave a rating that I think, yeah, I'm pretty close to there as well. I'm going to give this an eight. Like you're saying, this is timeless. Rewatching it as an adult, even though I'd seen it a bunch of times as a kid, there was all sorts of new things I was discovering or things I was appreciating. Even the knowledge of who Orson Welles is, is yeah. something I did not have as a kid. And so that's extra funny to me. The whole date scene is just so good. So, good. so yeah, I really enjoyed rewatching this. Although now I'm sad I didn't rewatch it with a straw in a glass of wine. <laughs> I feel time. I'm docking myself two points because I missed the <laughs> opportunity to watch it. With Idaho's finest wine. Idaho's finest. Don't spit it out like Steve Martin. So that's a 15. That's not bad. That's pretty yeah. good for us for adult rating. So the next rating, how we think it lives up to the intended audience, which I would say is not just kids, but younger kids. This is appropriate for preschoolers, kindergartners. They're just not going to get all the jokes. Yeah, but they're still going to like it. I'll, I'll go first with this one as well. So I also gave this a seven because... They don't mind the slowness. They they don't know who these cameos are, but it was fun. There's enough in there for them to laugh and also just points for brevity for a kid's movie. I mean, <laughs> keep the shtick where it is and know when to leave the party. And that's so I, I gave it a seven. All right. I actually also gave it a seven. What? We agreed. We do. For all the reasons you said, I'm going slightly lower than my adult rating because I think kids today are used to faster paced action figures like the hero swoops in there's major explosions computer animated this and that and this does have a really old-fashioned gentle feel to it even yeah with the craziness going on I wasn't sure all kids would sit through it <laughs> so that's a 29 that has to be one of our higher ones you our have the spreadsheet third I have a spreadsheet <laughs> Because I'm an order muffet. That's our third highest <laughs> ranking. Wow. Our top is still Beauty and the Beast with Edward Scissorhands. And then this is coming in just behind that. I think we underrated Roger Rabbit. I, think I mean, how is too. Roger Rabbit not the top? Oh, anyway, that's okay. For another day. For another for day. For another day. Despite being the third highest ranking that we have given out of 11 movies that we've done so far, I think we've given away the game here. But we both have to agree whether this lives up. So what say you, Amanda? I say I that uh, Steve Martin's shorts just make this movie continue <laughs> to live up. They are so ridiculous. So, so this ridiculous. lives up. I was trying to think of a case against it, and I just can't think of one. It lives up for sure. It's classic, but it's not dated, which is yeah. amazing. So, yay, you live up. Hey. Despite my love of Statler and Waldorf, I'm not going to sit up and heckle this movie. Like This is a fun <laughs> movie. I enjoy this. This is this is a fun one. And, you know, for those listening, if you agree, disagree, what did we miss? You can get us uh, our attention at all the socials at Live Up Pod. We're also at Live Up Pod at Gmail. So let us know. All right. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Congrats, Muppet Movie. You have lived up. Thank you, everyone.